Hey, what's going on there, podcast community? Welcome back to this week's edition of Dementia in Black and White. I am your host, Matthew Johnson, and today we have a special guest who's going to join us, and she is going to share with us her experience taking care of her mother who had dementia. And I am looking forward to the conversation, and I know that there will be some gems for you to pick up. So let's enjoy this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. All right, so this week we are going to talk with a woman. Her name is Deborah Jones. And she has agreed to come and share her story with her about her journey in taking care of her mother who had dementia. Her mother passed a month ago and we offer our condolences to Deborah and the family. And she's going to share with us her journey. And so hopefully we can learn a thing or two from her experience. So I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Miss Deborah Jones. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matthew. Yes, yes, you are welcome. So Deborah, first I want to ask if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about you and then tell us a little bit about your mom before we start talking about the journey. Well, I am just happy that I retired last year during the pandemic after a 30-year career with the Minnesota Vikings, and um, I haven't regretted one day. Uh, One of the things I had in mind when I retired is I would spend time with my mother, but the pandemic happened. So when they shut everything down, um, I was just creative in how I uh, spent time with her. I am the youngest. I have two older brothers, uh, two other uh, siblings. I've been married for 25 years this year. And when my husband and I um, uh, were married, I also um, got two adult children as well. So we have three grandchildren. So we are just enjoying retirement and um, enjoying life. All right. All right. Fantastic. All right. And then how about talking about your mom? Tell us a little bit about her. Oh, my mother. Uh, She was blessed to have 94 years on this earth. Wonderful. And she, um, she was, she was an evangelist missionary. So her journey um, as a young child, she had uh, professed giving her life to Christ and she was a energetic, social person. Uh, she loved to travel. She loved to go to conventions. Her and my father, when we were children, they took us on uh, fishing trips up north with uh, some of our other, uh, their other friends and um, siblings or children, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a kid, we did those types of things. She retired as a um, school teacher, elementary school teacher. She retired. She taught for twenty years, and then she retired. Oh. So, um, yeah, she moved here from Oklahoma, 
a small town um, in Oklahoma and uh, met my father. And before he uh, passed away, they were married for 55 years. Oh, wow. A lot of longevity there. And I remember you told me that she moved there to the Twin Cities area for college. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, Yes, she moved here and she started her uh, college experience at a small college. At that time, she was one of three African-Americans going to the college. So I'm sure that there were some struggles that she never talked about with that. Mm. You can just imagine um, at an all-white school being the, you know, one of three that there, there were some struggles. But she graduated from the University of Minnesota. And um, she got her uh, BA degree in science. Wow, that's all right. That's all right. Got a nice role model right there in your family to follow. That's excellent. Okay, so now I want to talk about, because I just know from having talked with you before, that your mother did um, go to an assisted living facility before even being diagnosed with dementia. So I want you to talk about that and what led to that decision, just making that transition from living at home to going to an assisted living facility. Yes, my mother was, um, after my father had uh, transitioned or passed away, she stayed in the house maybe a year. And she came to me and said, it's time for me to sell a house. Her and her friend um, had been to visit this assisted living. um, And they had made this decision that they were going to move in and, you know, each have their own apartment, but they were going to move into this building. Uh, And unknown to me, Dorothea Harris, who is uh, a director at Volunteers of America, she was behind the scenes helping both of them um, discuss this transition to uh, uh, assisted living. And shortly after uh, they moved in, uh, my mother's friend, her health had uh, declined. And it couldn't have been more than a month, two months, months that she was in the hospital. So my mother was in this assisted living, but she made friends. Uh, they had activities there. She joined the activities. She loved to go to the Bible study. She loved to sing. Um, and she would go down to the cafeteria and enjoy the meals there. Um, and she would cook in her own apartment. And that happened, um, probably she was like that for three to four years. But I knew a- as I was watching her, it was just something was off. I could tell something was off and uh, it was really interesting because um, she would use this body lotion uh, to body wash uh, when she showered. And I noticed that I wasn't buying as much of it for her. So I sat down, I said, mom, what's going on? And she, it just opened up this whole discussion that she didn't want to take a shower uh, because she was in the apartment by herself. She didn't want to slip and fall. So uh, after this conversation, I just changed my plans. I said, well, we'll set up a day and I will come and I will be with you. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, then after that, it was, you just notice these different changes. And it was at a doctor's appointment that you go through that um, survey. They give you those questions to see if uh, 
if you can remember. Um, and she was actually doing very well with those questions. But as soon as we got in the car, it would be something else. I'm like, Mom, that it's the, 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 the full thought process, the connection, it just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So she she could fly through, ask, you know, with those questions. And as soon as we got in the car, I'm like, okay, something is really wrong here. Wow. But, wow. you know, it's so small things that you just notice. So what I tried to really do was put protective measures in place so that I knew that she was safe. I didn't want her to be in her apartment by herself and some salesperson called and talk her into giving up some private information. So that that's where my thought process really kicked in to say, how can I protect her? Because she's doing okay, but yet I could tell she just wasn't as sharp as she used to be. And um, finally, um, I got her in to uh, see another doctor and they began to um, do other tests. And that's when the doctor came back with the diagnosis that she had dementia. Mm. Wow, that that is interesting. Yeah, the the early signs are sometimes certainly difficult for the loved one to notice and pay attention to. But in this case, it sounds like your mother was even doing well doing the neck up from the checkup and acing that exam. But with that dementia, there are flashes of lucidness where a person is, you know, pretty much all there. And then sometimes they're not. So it sounds like she just... um, had one of those lucid times when it was time to take that exam. But as you had Indigo, go ahead. If I could also add, there are things that I, in my protective mode, uh, I just covered her. And what I mean by covering is my mother would be talking and she would miss words. My mother was a very articulate woman. She liked to read a lot, so she knew how to use her words. And I realized that I was finishing her conversations for her. And when they told me that she had dementia, I realized that I had been doing that for a time. So it was a wake up for me as well, that I was doing some things that just kind of, again, in that protective mode and just, you know, trying to help. um, And it was helping her with her conversations and to find words. And those are one of the things that uh, uh, dementia patients will do. Don't don't forget some of the very conversations and how to communicate. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that's just a natural place. That's your mother. You love her. And to help out and you're filling in those gaps, that's all just normal and part of the process. It's interesting missing the shower because that is the challenge that I'm currently having with my mother, that whole shower thing. And that's something that I've heard, too, in my research, that they are sometimes afraid to take a shower for, you know, whatever reason. So yeah, all, all things that we need to pay attention to. Okay. So she's there in the facility. And now that you've gotten the diagnosis kind of official that there is dementia, is that when you move her from the assisted living side or was it to a different facility that she moved to like more of a memory care? Actually, no. Um, first of all, when it, when the diagnosis came, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew something was there, but you just, you know, when it happens, you think of, okay, how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect how I care for her? Um, and so what I began to do, she stayed in the same 
um, building her same apartment, but I was um, just noticing more things that she needed help with, like medication management. So I had people come in to help her with her medication. Um, we would get up, uh, she would get up on Sundays and she was just always running late. So I, I had someone come by Sunday mornings to help her get dressed so that when I picked her up, we could go, you know, go to church. And um, I just began to get these programs in for her uh, to help her out. And I also enlisted um, my brothers. Um, one came by twice a week and vacuumed and cleaned up. And the other would take her clothes home and wash. Mm -hmm. So um, that was definitely uh, needed. But she got sick. And it was some kind of virus um, that she had caught. And from that virus, she just, her health really went down. She just changed. What year was that? Um, it had to be year four of living in the apartment by herself. Okay. And so um, then she moved to, um, she transitioned over to the uh, nursing. nursing side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really, she was okay with it. Uh, matter of fact, she would tell her uh, other family members that I would have go by. She said, no, this is the best place for me. I need the help. She told my best friend, she said, yeah, um, I need the help. I don't want to live with uh, Deborah and her husband. I want them to have their own life. Mm -hmm. Um, So there were things that she could, that she had made up. It seemed like she had her mind made up long before. Mm -hmm. And so as the, she got really good help there and she was active in the, the programs that they had. Um, and she would admit, I'm, I don't remember like I used to. I don't remember like I used to. So she knew that there was a change. Um, and it, it was it was easy, but it was hard because I wanted her to come and stay with um, me and my husband. Mm. But she didn't want to. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, yeah, I remember you talking about being involved at the assisted living facility. When we talked before, you said she'd even planned some black history programs at the facility and brought in choirs and all of that. She did. She, um, um, before she moved up into the care facility, she was in the apartment. And she, my mother loved to plan programs. That's one of the things after she retired uh, within our church. She was um, what they call a, she would be over a youth group. It was mm. a group called the Purity. Mm. And she enjoyed taking them to conventions. She enjoyed planning banquets and programs. Mm. Um, and so when she was in this uh um, what am I trying um, um, the facility mm-hmm. assisted living thank you the assisted living she planned a black history program because they hadn't had one before and so uh, she had a choir come in um, she had some speakers come in nice. and they did that for probably three years while she was there very nice maybe two two or three years okay Okay. All right. So talk to me about your support network. You mentioned briefly voices, I'm sorry, volunteers of America, uh, that someone from there was kind of in the background helping out with her transitioning, but what other support do, did you rely on? You also just mentioned you having your brothers, uh, come by, do laundry, do different things. Tell me about the support that you had throughout all of this. 
Well, when I got the information that she had dementia, one of the things I said is, okay, what am I going to do? How is this going to affect me? Um, I met Dorothea Harris, and she was, um, at that time, um, the leader of the support group. In that support group, just going there, listening and talking, listening to other people's stories, I kind of formed some things that I needed to do for myself. It helped me to form some things and to see that I was going to need the help and it was okay to ask for help. I didn't have to do it by myself. One of the sisters said, we have the privilege of taking care of our loved ones. And when I first got the diagnosis, again, I was tight. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be just so much. I had all this um, nervous energy about what was going to happen. And when she said it, that kind of just changed my my uh, frame of thinking to help me to understand that you have a support group and you don't have to do it by yourself. You're not a martyr. Ask for help. <laughs> you yes, know? Yes. And so um so and, and you have you have to ask for help and you cannot be upset with the type of help that you get. Mm. I had I thought my brother sh- should have been doing more. But I had to step back and say, this is what they can do. Accept what they can do and either get some other help to, you know, to get someone else to help or do it yourself Mm -hmm. because the work has got to be done. And the one thing I wanted my mother to always know, she was going to be taken care of and she was loved. So um, we had, um, I had uh, some members from my church. They would go by and visit her those who are retired or whatever, they will go by and visit her. I had friends that will go by and visit, um, especially when she was in the nursing home. Um, uh, yeah, people will go by and visit. And some of the best help I had in, in pulling things together uh, was in the from the care um, caregivers group. We had speakers come in to talk about the necessary papers to have in place you know, a, a power of attorney and, um, you know, if you have a trust, having a trust, you know, how to manage that, how to um, even manage Medicare and Medicaid and all of those things, because they're very new if you haven't been exposed to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thank you for sharing that. It's so important to get help from everywhere. And you got help from the community, from the church, from the program and all of that. And yes, I really like what you said around recognizing that it is a privilege to be in that position to take care of your mother as I am now getting to that point, but I certainly wasn't there at the beginning. So that's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, framing that's really important, I think, for people to hear. Okay, so I want you to talk about, so your mother uh, passed a month ago, and I want, want you to just tell me about that in terms of how course that's um you're grieving and you're i would assume still grieving from that but was there any relief that you felt uh, uh along with that and that your mother's in a better place as well i think my faith in god helped me to understand that mm. um there is a verse that i relied on and it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord And so when you have faith in God and you live your life, and as I said, my mother was 94 when she passed, and that's how she lived her life. 
So I that gave me relief to know that what she was looking forward to, I totally believe that that's where she is. Um, for me, I'm on a journey to live my life without her. Um, I think I did mention to you before, and I think it's important that as you are caring for your loved one with Alzheimer's, you have, you or dementia, you have periods along the way, because it is a journey where you mourn that person. See, I was going through um, just life situations on my job. And, and, you know, mom is the person that you're supposed to be able to trust and go to for advice all your life. But when you have somebody that has that brain um, illness, they can't give you what you want. They can't give you that. So you know that you can't go there. So there were periods along the way that I knew there was just certain things that my mother wasn't able to do. So I mourned that along the way. My mourning didn't start when she took her last breath. It was before that. Um, and now I'm on that journey to live without her. Um, and as I shared with you, I am privileged because I, along the way, I was just taking video. I have video of some of our, our conversations. I have video of me asking questions. I have video of us laughing together. Mm -hmm. And I would purposely go just to hear her laugh or to see her laugh. Uh, one of the last, on her birthday. No, it's the week of her birthday. Um, I said, Mom, you're going to be 94, you know, 94 years old this year, uh, this week. She said, I am. I said, yeah, on Thursday, you're going to be 94. You're going to be as old as dirt. She <laughs> laughed so hard. She just laughed at that. You know, as silly as that is, you know, it, it, it was a moment for me because that was the last time I saw her really laugh. So, you know, you have to, um, you have to grab those moments and hold on to them while you can. Uh, yeah. I lived, uh, another model that I lived with is I didn't want to have any regrets. I knew she was going to pass away. So I tried to make every day that I could as much as that lied within me so that I wouldn't have regrets when she's gone. Wow. And so those little things that she liked to do, I just loved to do it. And I knew she knew she, her, that she was, um, not remembering like she, her memory was leaving her. So we played this game. It's called the alphabet game. Hmm. And we would take the letter A. And she would try to name every male name with the letter A. We would go Aaron, um, Anthony, Andrew, mm -hmm. Alex. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And she wanted me to keep count because she wanted to be. Ah, look at that. Still competitive. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that went on for quite a long time. So you just take those moments and you just, you treasure them because you don't know how long you have them. Yeah. I really like that, uh, especially to make those recordings uh, so that you have that, you know, to recall and, you know, just help. And, and yeah, I like what you said about this disease too. It's It's different than other things in that, probably from the diagnosis is when you start grieving, not just at the end uh, when it's at the final stages, you're noticing things and loss kind of just along the way. And each of those mm -hmm. moments are kind of smaller mm -hmm. micro grieving 
sessions, if you will. All right. So let me close with this question. What advice would you give to a new caregiver, someone who is kind of just starting on this journey? And uh, maybe also if the advice doesn't include self-care, also talk about that too a little, uh, what type of things regarding self-care should or did you do or that might be important to consider? I think it's important for um, anyone who is just starting out, uh, find someone that you can talk to. If there is a caregiver's group in your area or if you can connect virtually, that it helps. You may not have the same experience as somebody else, but you can learn from other people's experience. And caregivers typically like to talk about their journey um, because they're looking for information themselves. And they know that um, everyone's journey is different, but everybody can learn from one another. I would also say um, where you can have meetings with your family. If you're the one, this is one thing I've learned is that I don't care how big or how small the family is, it's typically one or two people in the family that are very active with the care. So where you can, have meetings and just keep them up to see about what's going on. Mm. Um, sometimes I know that's a very difficult thing. I've heard a lot of horror stories, mm. but um, you, you have to have it, at least try. And then from there, accept what help you can get and don't let it stress you out if you can. And don't let those who are not involved stress you out. Keep your focus on the person that you're giving the care for. Care should be from a place of love because it's easy to wear out. It's easy to get tired and it's easy to point the finger and say you should do better, but they can't. Mm. we can stand in a place of judgment sometimes. So you've got to understand the disease and it's going to be different in your loved one as it was in somebody else's. So you have to just uh, pace yourself, get self-care, know that if you don't take care of yourself, it's really hard for you to take care of others. Get some rest, learn to um, be involved in um, another group besides just caring for your loved ones. But most of us have family, we work, and all of those things can be very taxing on you. But learn to laugh, find those places that you that you enjoy. If you like to paint, make sure you still paint. Mm. Make sure you get that quiet time for yourself. Mm. Um, I, I'm in my choir. I'm not the best singer, but I go. <laughs> And I enjoy opening my mouth. <laughs> All right. And, and I, I just enjoy that. So um, I think self-care and being patient is one of the things that caregivers have to do and have to come from a place of Wow. Yeah, that's uh, some excellent, excellent advice to take us out of here. Don't forget to continue to take care of yourself. If you had hobbies before becoming a caregiver, Still do those hobbies. You were singing in the choir before. Get to the choir. Even if you're not the soloist, get on back there and do your alto part so you can support and support yourself even more importantly. Well, thank you, Miss Deborah Jones. I want to just 
say that I appreciate you coming in and talking to us and like I said before the interview, dropping some gems so that people can learn from your journey as we are going to continue along on this journey. And I want to thank everybody for listening to this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. Absolutely take care of your loved one. That's important. But take care of yourself too, mental and physical. I'm out.